The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Matthew chapter 11. If we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. If you have any questions about our message time today, uh, one of the ways that I would encourage you to ask them is to send a text to the number that's on the screen. And then on Tuesdays at 11.15, we go live on our church Facebook page. Um, you don't have to watch it live. You can watch it later uh, that day on Facebook, and you can go onto our website, and it's on there as well. Well, when we last saw John the Baptist, he was disrupting the peace of religiosity and confidently proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. He said this, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the same one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. John in this time is filled with so much bravado and so much confidence. And a lot of the Christians that I know have been in that exact same spot, living, living on a mountaintop experience. When you knew, when we knew that beyond the shadow of the doubt, that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he was in control, and we walked like we truly believed that. The joy of the Lord was truly our strength. And after Jesus is baptized, he goes out and he's recruiting disciples and he's healing sick people. He's casting out demons and he's developing this following of disciples of his own. But in the meantime, John's, John's role as forerunner, as proclaimer that the Christ was coming, his role was beginning to catch up to him. King Herod had, had, had um, persuaded Herodias, who was married to his brother, to leave his brother and to marry him instead. And John, as the disturber of the peace, began to call Herod out on this. So Herod has John arrested. Let's read Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. John the Baptist, who was in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. 
I think we've all been in that spot too, haven't we? Where the joy, the joy that once defined John is gone. And it's, it's been replaced by the most real questions that any person could ever ask. Where are you? I mean, I thought, I thought you were the Messiah. You were supposed to save the world. Weren't you supposed to deliver us? I mean, Jesus, I know the scriptures pretty well, and I'm pretty sure they said something about justice and hope and love and peace. And I'm sitting in this prison cell, and it sure doesn't seem like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that will be willing to admit that they have asked those same kinds of questions. God, where are you? And I imagine John, as he's, as he's sitting in this prison cell, and he's turning over all of these scriptures in his head that, that he had drilled into him when he was in Bible Bowl as a young Jewish boy. He was, he was thinking about Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 6. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. I imagine that John also had Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 in his mind. I, the Lord, have called you, and the you there is Messiah. That's who, that's who the Lord is talking to. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give to you my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. You will be a light unto the nations. You'll open the eyes of the blind. You'll free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. I want you to imagine then the excitement when, when John's disciples return home to him in prison with this message. And John, what did he say? What did Jesus say? Is he the Messiah? Is there someone else? And what did John's disciples say? Well, John, the blind see. Check. The lame walk. Check. The lepers are cured. Check. The deaf hear. Check. The dead are raised to life. Check. The good news, it's being, ra- it's being preached to the poor. Check. And then John says, well, did Jesus say anything else? No. Did he say anything about the prisoners? Did he say anything about the prisoners being released from dark dungeons? No. Jesus said nothing about prisoners being released from dark dungeons. And if we were to flip ahead just a few chapters into Matthew 14, what we would read is the rest of John's story. We would read that John is beheaded at the birthday party for Herodias' daughter, Salome. I bet you're really glad you came to Westway Christian Church this morning. And some of you are mad because last week I ruined Elf on the Shelf for you. Yeah, I'm still hearing about that. One of the things I love about the Bible is how real it actually is. One of the things I love about the Bible is how relatable it is for our own lives. It doesn't shy away from the hardships and the realities of our lives. It asks the same kinds of questions that we ask. Bad things don't just happen to people, 
right? Bad things, bad things happen to us. And this room is filled with people who have experienced real hardship and real loss this year. We have people in this room who've, who've lost husbands and fathers and wives. We have people this year who've lost children and grandchildren. Families have broken up. Spouses have left. So, so we ask that question, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? There are people in this room who have been diagnosed with horrible diseases this year. There are people in this room who have had crimes committed against them this year. There are people in this room, and, and we're sitting next to them, for whom anxiety and depression is a crushing weight in the reality of their lives. So those people ask, are you the Messiah, or should we keep looking for someone else? There are people in this room who have been abandoned by family and friends. We feel like we have debt that we will never, ever, ever be able to pay off. There are people in this room who have children who have walked away from the faith. And we ask this question, are you the Messiah that we're waiting for, or is there someone else? Is this a hopeless question? Is it the wrong question for us to ask? See, I like the Bible not just for the questions that it asks, but I like the Bible for the answers that it gives. Because it gives us the same answers that it gave to the people that we read about in the text. This is what I think Jesus is saying to John. John, I want you to stop making your life about you and your own circumstances. There's real life change going on here. There are people who are being exposed to the gospel of Jesus, and they're being changed. I'm doing exactly, John, what I said I was going to do, and all you can do is think about yourself. And then he says this. He says, don't fall away because you're not getting the outcome in your life that you want. Take your eyes off of yourself and look up. And that sounds really harsh. It sounds really heavy when we name it. It disturbs our peace, and that's why we talked about that last week, is this is a season where we need our peace disturbed, where we need our comfort disturbed. And I also share that just over the past few weeks, as I've been going through this, this Advent series and reading this text, my peace is so bothered, my peace is so disturbed, and honestly, I don't know what, I don't know what to do about it, except to say this, in order for me to have hope and joy and real peace that, has, that requires a reorientation of my life. I have to self-examine. I have to self-evaluate. I have to ask God to help me evaluate my life, to reveal to me the truth about what's going on in my life. See, our, our culture tells us to find our joy and our hope in temporary things. Our culture, our culture says that the win on Christmas morning is for, for Anne to take me outside and show me the brand new $70,000 pickup truck that I just bought myself for Christmas, right? And then the real joy is when she walks out there, little did she know, I actually bought her one as well. And the great thing is we can afford it because we have a 10-year note to pay it off. See, this is... This is what our culture tells us brings us joy, brings us comfort, and brings us peace. 
We don't need sugary, sweet things at Christmas time. What we need is a hope that lasts. We need real peace. We need a joy that sustains. So Patrick, that is your cue to come up and light our joy candle today. It's good that you don't know how to use a lighter. That's good. I'll do it. (laughs) Yep, you passed the test. Good job. It's funny, when we were out in the lobby earlier, I said, Patrick, do you know how to use a lighter? And he said, yes. And his mom immediately said, how do you know how to use a lighter? (laughs) See, we need a joy that sustains us. And this is why Jesus tells John the truth. And this is why John tells us the truth. The kingdom is coming, Jesus says. And people are finding healing and they're finding joy. And don't give up. There's a group of pastors that I've been meeting with over the past um, month or so. They're from, different, they're from different corners of Christianity than I normally um, hang out with. And it's really been good and rich because they're going through this Advent series as well. So on each, each Tuesday, we've gotten together and we've just talked about the text. What are you, how are you going to talk about this this week? And it's really been um, enlightening for me. And this past week, Father Mark, who's the, who's the priest at the Episcopal Church, um, he said this. He said, the four darkest weeks are upon us. The four darkest weeks are upon us. And he's right. At least he was. There was something that happened last night at exactly 9.19 p.m. Mountain Time, and I wonder if you noticed it. The North Pole, in fact, the entire Northern Hemisphere, entered into its maximum tilt away from the sun last night at 9.19 p.m. The four darkest weeks of the year have been upon us, and it is in this darkness It is in the midst of this darkness that the world gathers to commemorate the coming of the Messiah. It's in the middle of this darkness that Christians gather and they dare to talk about hope and peace and joy and love. Even as the world grows darker around them, we dare to talk about these things. I think this is a metaphor for us. This is the example that, that even in the midst of an impossible year, it is not only not possible to fall away from hope, peace, joy, and love that is in Christ, but it's possible in our darkest time to offer God the highest praise. Let me tell you about a guy by the name of Eric Reed. He's a pastor in Lebanon, Tennessee. Their son was born 15 years ago, prematurely, 10 weeks, with one of his kidneys covered with cysts. After a few months, they figured that their son was, was strong enough to undergo surgery to remove this kidney. During the surgery, there were complications, 
And the doctor came out to tell Eric and his wife that they had had some problems. They not only took the bad kidney, they accidentally had taken the good kidney as well. On December 1st of 2019, just 20 days ago, their son passed away. The next morning, Eric's wife said this. Today's the first day in Caleb's whole life that he wasn't in a sick body. And a few days ago, Eric wrote this. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven where he runs and reigns from the right hand of the Father. He's coming again to judge the world in righteousness. He must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. So there's a time of waiting. The universe is not spinning chaotically out of control. But notice that death is the last enemy to fall. Until then... It will continue to wreak havoc. The sting of death is real. We do not make friends with it. We long for this enemy's defeat. In Christ, the knockout blow to death is certain. Death's defeat is coming. Last night at 9.19.01, in a little galaxy in the corner of a universe... On the third rock from the sun, it slowly but surely began to tilt its north pole back toward the sun. There is nothing that will seem to change. In fact, over the next few weeks, they will feel just as dark and just as bleak as the previous four have felt. But over time, we will notice that the days are lengthening. It will feel warmer on our skin. And this too is a metaphor for us. Despite the arrival of the Christ child, we are surrounded by hardships and realities and situations and circumstances that feel impossible to us. But the spiritually dead are being raised to life. The good news is being preached. And God still blesses those who do not fall away in the waiting. God still blesses those who do not fall away, who do not give up on hope and peace and joy and love. In the book of James, we read this. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Is Jesus the Messiah that we are expecting? Yes. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the hope that is found in your son, Jesus. As each one of us examine the hardships and realities and the situations and circumstances of our life,
Help us to cast those things on you. Help us to not fall away on account of you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to see in your grand plan and the role that we play in it. That you are bringing life and we have a role in that. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.